Welcome to Canthropod. This is episode 9, Miyasu at 30. The Mongolia and Inner Asia Studies Unit, or Miyasu, is currently celebrating its 30th birthday, and so I spoke with some of its members to find out just what is so distinctive about the unit. Miyasu is an interdisciplinary research unit based in social anthropology. The unit provides academic and administrative support for large projects from concept, coordination and conference planning to exhibition organisation, publication and impact support and final reporting. The different project teams and individual researchers create a dynamic cluster of scholars with common cross-boundary interests, such as religion and ethnicity, border studies, pastoralism and environmental matters, and political formations. It builds networks across the region through links and formal agreements with academic institutions in Inner Asia, and supports academic exchange through awards from the Sigrid Rousing Scholarly Exchange Scheme. One of its key strategies is to work through knowledge of local languages, and so it has a part-time Mongolian language teacher and organises pre-fieldwork language training for PhD students in other languages where possible. But it began much smaller than that. Professor Dame Caroline Humphrey, the founder, told me about how it all started in 1986. Well, it started um, in the 1980s after I'd graduated in Mongolian studies at Leeds University and my then professor was getting old and retiring and there was nobody practically to carry on the kind of thing he did which was uh, the study of inner Asia very broadly all the way from the Himalayas to Siberia Mm. um, in its contemporary life. Mm. Um, So there were departments here and there dotted around the world including one in, in Britain which studied texts and uh, oriental studies, so-called, in those Mm. days. Um, And, um, you know, languages, particularly classical Mm -hmm. oriental languages, that kind of thing. But there really wasn't anywhere people um, focused on on contemporary life, politics, economics, and religion, and so forth. And he was very, very keen that um, that should be continued in this country. And so was Urgunga Onan, who was teaching with him at Leeds, who is a Dar Mongolian and so that's uh, the idea really came from that background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, what was it like to start it up? In well the um, uh, it was quite complicated in a sense because it, it didn't exist institutionally mm-hmm. and we um, started with um, a tiny little gift of money from Urgunga, which enabled us to rent a room in Cambridge, yeah. and um, really just to set up the idea and to start a seminar and that kind of thing. And then I was able, uh, after a year or two, to get that recognised by the university as a sort of interdisciplinary unit for research. Uh-huh. And it sort of carried on from that, really, because after that we got grants and more people coming in and graduate students working on the topics, and it just sort of gradually grew. Uh-huh. And the idea of it was um, that um, it should be interdisciplinary um, and that it needed to be a unit. In, in, in other words, not just a bunch of individuals but people who were actually collaborating together. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that was, uh, I could tell you a story which lay behind it. There was a, a famous scholar of Inner Asia in America who um, 
decided that he needed to know um, Chinese, Mongolian, Russian, Persian, Turkish, Sanskrit and Tibetan in order to work in this um, part of the world and he started out learning these languages and the years went by and he added another language and so on. He published the odd article and he got to about five languages and then he died. Right. And so it, it, it really, to me, showed that you can't do this on your own. Yeah. You, you need a lot of people who are going uh -huh. to help each other and if I can read a Ch uh, you know, Russian text for him, uh, he can read a Chinese one for me and this kind of thing. And that <coughs> derives from the region itself, I mean the, the nature of the region. Yes, because the region is, on the one hand it, it is a, um, a region that hangs together sort of historically and culturally because uh, the, the people there are highly nomadic, they're moving around and, and um, you know, uh, political forms are spread over the whole region and contracted and so forth. On the other hand, it is a place because it's in the middle of Asia that people have crossed through and where there are different languages and mm -hmm. different religions and so forth. Mm -hmm. So what other kind of challenges are there to research in this region aside from the kind of linguistic challenge, um, would you say? Well, the challenges are partly that it's um, been... Uh, the, the modern aspect of it, let's say the 20th century aspect of it, has been very difficult to access, partly because it was first full of revolution and then um, socialist countries that didn't um, welcome or even allow for years and years Western scholars to go there. So the, so the idea of doing field work was, was problematic. And um, the, our other guiding idea in the unit, which was that we would involve on an equal basis scholars from those areas who would um, work with us and co come here or we would go to there to work with them. Um, that was also problematic because it, there simply weren't the, uh, the diplomatic and political bases on which those people could come and work with us or we could go there. So all of that was very difficult at, at least until around 1991 when the Soviet Union ended and mm. then in principle things became easier but they're still highly problematic over yeah. the whole area you know there are many areas where uh, western scholars still can't go uh -huh. and or where if they do you know they subject to constant surveillance and being thought of as spies and right. all the rest of it right and how has um the unit itself changed over the 30 years would you say um it's uh, added more people yeah. basically, so it's become larger and, and more solid. So having been started by me with Orgunga, and Orgunga was already retired and didn't have a post, uh, we now have um, four people with um, solid posts in Cambridge University and a spread from Hildegard Diemberger, who's working in Tibet, to Hulaik, who has become a big authority on the Borderlands of China, mm -hmm. and David Sneeze, of course, who ranges over Mongolia, um, both bits of Mongolia. So it is much more solid, and then we've just had generations now of graduate students and postdocs mm -hmm. involved in various projects, and just countless numbers of people coming from over there to here. Mm -hmm. And we've also had now quite a few um, Mongolian and Russian and Chinese Tibetan uh, students who've come here and got degrees in Cambridge University, which I think is a very, very wonderful thing because mm -hmm. it means that they can sort of participate in global academic work yeah. and have their work recognised.
Miyasu has certainly become the research hub that Professor Humphrey and her collaborators envisaged in those early years. It has attracted many people from di various different backgrounds. Two key figures spoke with me and told me their stories. My name is David Sneath. I'm the current director of the Mongolia and Inner Asia Studies Unit and I'm a reader at the Division of Social Anthropology. Well, I think I was the first ever PhD student or student member of any sort. Right. So back in 1986, when we started, uh, I just started my PhD uh, on, at that time, Inner Mongolia, part of China. And Caroline Humphrey was founding the uh, Mongolia and Inner Asia Studies Unit then. We had uh, a very small group who were interested in the studies. And it was linked, really, to the old Anglo-Mongolian Society, which uh, was a a nationwide uh, small specialist organisation concerned with diplomatic and scholarly links to Mongolia. Mm -hmm. But Caroline had decided she wanted to establish a really scholarly centre. And um, it was a very exciting time, really. We, were, we had almost no resources, just mm -hmm. a few of us. But there was, even then, you know, the kind of flickering vision of something sort of grander uh, in the future. And I'm Hildegard Dienberger. I'm the research director of the Mongolian Inner Asia Studies Unit. I'm a social anthropologist working in the Tibetan and Himalayan areas, and I'm director of studies in human, social and political science at Pembroke College. My um, participation in the unit started in the year 2000 and came on the back of a visit of Caroline to Vienna, where I was at that time um, lecturing in uh, social anthropology and Tibetology at the University of Vienna. And we had a range of programs of collaboration with uh, um, institutions uh, in the Tibetan areas of China, as well as in the various Himalayan areas. And uh, we started having a conversation about uh, academic present and futures right. of, of the region and we found immediately a kind of commonality of uh, intent. And shortly afterwards I came here on a visiting uh, fellowship and I discovered that this was an amazing place and it coincided with a time in which the unit was expanding from an initial focus on Mongolia to involving more of uh, Inner Asia in the widest sense and therefore it became an obvious kind of convergence of interest mm -hmm. that I applied for a position that had came up uh -huh. at that time. And um, I brought with me connections with uh, Tibet uh -huh. as an opportunity for the unit to expand into that region, which had a very troubled history and which was at that point opening up to mm -hmm. academic collaboration. Mm -hmm. But Miyasu is not just about researchers based in Cambridge. Over the years, it has attracted significant numbers of visitors and students, around 56 PhD students and approximately 250 visiting scholars from across the world and especially from the region itself. What has their experience been like? Uh, so my name is Tom White. I'm a uh, final year PhD student in the Department of Social Anthropology here in Cambridge and a member of, of Miyasu and my research looks at um, the relationship between <laughs> pastoralists, um, the state and, and their animals in, in Mongolia. I, I think I've, I've benefited greatly from the regional expertise here. Um, my, my master's research, which I also uh, did here in Cambridge, mm -hmm. that was um, on a slightly different theme but based uh, also in the region so I've I've I'm 
really thankful that I've been able to move around um, thematically while also um, while, while staying within this within this region and I mean when I think about it there's really no other place I could have I could have done that mm -hmm. in, in the world I think um, just because this this really is the place for this um, this 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 regional uh, focus and really does benefit from having uh, a kind of both a, a core group of academics and a more kind of rotating cast of um, PhD students, postdocs, and particularly uh, scholars from, from the region itself who, who, who come here. My name is Sayana Namsarayeva. I was born in Siberia in Buryat family and uh, did my PhD in, at St. Petersburg State University. And it took me kind of long way uh, <laughs> before I, I came here. So I used to work in Russian Academy of Sciences in the Institute of Oriental Studies. But that time I was doing a purely kind of 18th, 19th century history of uh, kind of colonial administration of the Qing dynasty in, in Asia. But then I, I started developing my interest in social anthropology and I found it really fascinating. And uh, uh, I was invited to join the project in 2000. And, uh, 13 uh, when Kerry actually we <coughs> put our efforts several years before I moved here to get this funding for, for the project where rising powers meet Russia, China and Mongolia, the North Asian borders and I was one of the PhD students or P, uh, postdoc, mm -hmm. postdoc <coughs> researchers there so this is my fourth year here in Cambridge and I like very much being at Miasu and I remember when I was the maybe second year student at University of St. Petersburg Department of Oriental Studies, suddenly in the library I saw this little leaflet introducing me Miasu in, in Asia studies and thought, oh what's such a strange geographical term in Asia and I started looking at it and thought, oh it's so fascinating. And I thought that maybe it was like twenty years ago. I thought, oh one day I should be there and and it became kind of my not like a goal but one of my kind of dreams, or maybe places where I should visit. And uh, before I moved here with my family to start my employment, of course, I visited Miasu several times, met people here. And uh, actually, I was really happy to find people actually who are kind of a share with you the same interest, the same idea, and share the kind of deep understanding <coughs> culture of different ethnic minorities and social groups living. In, in Asia, and I would like uh, what I like very much so that it's multidisciplinary and it does not just only Mongolia, but it also kind of uh, embraces all adjacent areas like Russia, like in the Mongolia, Manjuria. So I think that it's a unique place where you can have kind of a holistic attitude to to the territory, which is divided between so many <coughs> countries and so many cultures. Mm. I was curious about how Miyasu has changed in its 30-year history. I put this question to David and Hildegard, and their first response was to speak about the dramatic changes that the region itself has undergone in that time. 
Well, the unit has changed enormously because the region of Inner Asia has changed yeah. so dramatically. I mean, when we started, Mongolia was behind the Iron Curtain mm -hmm. and Inner Mongolia was behind the Bamboo Curtain inside yeah. China. So um, it was a Cold War mentality. I mean, there were, you know, doing research there was sort of hedged round with all sorts of security and espionage concerns. Mm -hmm. So it was a very different atmosphere when we started. And since then, of course, we saw the collapse of the old USSR, mm -hmm. the radical transformation of China uh, and the emergence of an enormously powerful economic, uh, a miracle, if you mm. like, uh, in the region. So um, the unit has had to keep pace with these extraordinary changes. Mm. And it has been one of the most fascinating parts of the world, I think, to be specialised in, mm -hmm. to look over those three years. We've had, as I say, this enormous change in China, huge amount of wealth, all mm. sorts of changes in the political makeup and structure, internal politics of the place. Mongolia has been thrust into a post-socialist era which is very economically difficult mm. and a, a tumultuous kind of period. New kinds of democratic politics emerging uh, from scratch mm. almost uh, in many of the regions. Uh, the IT revolution, I mean, you know, when we first started working there, you wrote kind of aerogram, uh, you know, letters and posted them and waited for weeks and months to get a reply. And now, you know, Mongolian pastoralists who are herding their animals will talk about being signal tail knot. Are you in signal? Yeah. And they will modify the places that they're moving with their encampments, depending on whether or not they've got mobile phone signal. Yeah. So all these transformations, as well as, of course, the huge impact of mining yeah. and international mining interests on Mongolia, yeah. uh, have been you know, basically un, um, unveiled before our eyes over the years. Uh, we've seen these huge changes happening. And the scholarship kind of reflects that. Mm -hmm. And so how, I mean, how kind of concretely has it, has the, the unit kind of responded to all those different changes? What do you think? Well, we have engaged uh, in multiple ways with uh, um, local communities, but lo also local scholars, local institutions, <laughs> in a variety of ways, sometimes in strictly academic modes, but sometimes also involved in um, restoration of local cultural heritage mm -hmm. or uh, providing advice on uh, um, land use in various forms and shapes in connection to environmental challenges. So there has been a really intense engagement mm -hmm. with the places we've mm -hmm. been working in. And uh, to echo what um, David was saying, for example, in, in the Tibetan areas, uh, we have uh, seen an enormous transformation from uh, what was, say, the end of the Cultural Revolution, a period of extreme trauma mm -hmm. and destruction of um, places and people mm -hmm. in various forms, uh, to a situation of opening up. Uh, towards not only the wider world, but also towards the possibilities of reconstituting mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the local heritage and the local traditions. And so you've seen a booming of uh, reconstruction of monasteries, rescuing of texts. This increasingly assisted by digital technologies. And uh, for example, I remember some monasteries that I visited, say in 1990, which were really poor and perched on cliffs and operating in difficult conditions. And now the same monasteries have a computer lab yeah. and, uh, you know, are looking at uh, preparing teaching texts for the monastic community, you know, to uh, prepare for this or that ritual. So it's quite amazing yeah. uh, to see how much all this has transformed.
Today, Miyasu has a regular research seminar series and hosts individual and collaborative research projects, supporting researchers, PhD students and postdoctoral scholars working in the area. It has the Inner Asia Journal and the Inner Asia Book Series, which publishes conference proceedings and other volumes. Sarana told me that she thought that Miyasu had been an important transitional space for many researchers, including herself. Actually, it's a good platform where can you meet not just on not only like locally based researchers, but people coming from all around the world who share kind of the same interest with you in the region, in history of the region, and things are uh, happening there nowadays. And actually, this kind of miasu uh, club, let's mm-hmm. say, nowadays uh, has so many people all around the world and. Whenever, for example, we go like to different remote places in Mongolia, in Inner Mongolia, in Siberia, everywhere, we can rely on local support of local scholars who somehow, in a way, also appreciate kind of Miasu support when they were here. Or it's not also, and uh, I know that Miasu builds lots of kind of uh, <coughs> joint international researches, and it's not only with kind of Moscow and St. Petersburg researchers, but primarily with the regional researchers, which is also kind of a present the diversity of people here at Miasu. And uh, I think that uh, Miasu is a, in a, also kind of a, a very exper- experimental platform because there are lots of new ideas, new researchers, uh, new, new researchers who come with good ideas. And uh, actually, I'm very grateful to uh, uh, administration of the Miasu and, and Caroline Humphrey who kind of inspire us to kind of deepen or to widen our research and to move and keep us moving kind of forward. <laughs> yes, I think I think I think I'd completely agree and I'd it's also it's great that you you're you're both able to kind of get on with your own research while also coming into contact with so many other different people and there's there's really spaces there for kind of the the casual encounters that I think is so important for kind of academic exchange. Mm. So we have our our Tuesday um, you know biweekly Tuesday seminars where we get to see people and come into contact with people and kind of you know exchange ideas um, on the periphery of a of a presentation that someone gives, often a visiting researcher. Um, so I think that's that's really helpful and, and fostering that kind of uh, climate of, of you know easy casual exchange of ideas is 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 I think very difficult and I think Miyasu's done very well in, in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I should I should just say as well that we're we're very lucky to have all these world class scholars here and we're also extremely lucky to have an administrator in Libby who's yeah. very enthusiastic about the research as well and. Um, you know, so much of what happens in Miyasu is, is down to her. So I think we're very lucky with that. Hildegard agreed. My personal feeling is that there is a very nice atmosphere in the unit. So Libby is certainly central to that, but I do think that the entire team is actually so um, involved in each other and each other's vision that um, it provides for a very warm human hub of uh, activity and I do believe also that the visiting scholars who are coming here participate immediately in uh, in this place mm-hmm. which also has turned into an amazingly fertile place to produce research 
grants. Mm -hmm. So it's a place where it's nice to conceive visions mm -hmm. and imagine uh, particular research endeavors, which can then be written up mm -hmm. and uh, can uh, be submitted to councils or to various potential donors. And this has been very much part of the success of the unit, because uh, at the end of the day, it's not only about uh, I would say the social and political and academic dimension in terms of knowledge, but also in terms of the funding that is necessary to, to sustain all that. We have been having an increasing success through research grants mm -hmm. that enabled us to explore various dimensions of uh, inner Asia now in, at, at large, but also which enabled us to attract to the unit uh, high-profile uh, researchers. Um, and so the family kind of expanded yeah. thanks to these resources. Yes, I completely agree with that. Um, I think it is teamwork and good fellowship in the end. Mm -hmm. Of course, Caroline established it and her kind of leadership style was always very inclusive. Um, and so that, I think, set the tone which has allowed us to do a lot of things as a group and as a team, although, you know, it's all very well having a lot of inspiration, and we have some of that too. There's also a lot of perspiration. A lot of that comes down to <laughs> Libby's brilliant administrative work. So, but that alloy of different kind of strengths and qualities um, has worked so far really to benefit us, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have been possible without Caroline. Oh, great. And so, finally, I suppose, uh, how do you think Miyasu might develop in the future and over the next 30 years? Um, in terms of the intellectual agenda, we have been uh, increasingly attracted by a range of big challenges that have been uh, um, emerging in the region, whether these are environmental challenges or political challenges. It's quite clear that uh, in Eurasia, whether this is Western China or whether it is Mongolia or areas of the former Soviet Union, are you know, is, is an area that has increasing strategic importance in, in a world that is becoming much more polycentric. And from that point of view, I do see the centre uh, developing increasingly towards uh, research that is focused on some of the big challenges and big opportunities, be this uh, dealing with complicated borders mm -hmm. and what are borders in these settings, be this environmental challenges, climate change, uh, water crisis, but uh, also cultural heritage, expansion of uh, Buddhist traditions or other religions uh, in the area and uh, all kind of issues that are really very fast in emerging and very often difficult to address because uh, the world in which we are finding response, especially the political world, is often lagging behind mm -hmm. uh, the challenges we are facing. Mm -hmm. In terms of the future, I also see uh, an increase of uh, uh, our involvement with uh, local communities right. at, at multiple levels. And we have already been uh, at the forefront of training scholars from the regions where we have been involved in. And uh, also we have been instrumental in establishing uh, academic institutions with an anthropological profile or an interdisciplinary profile in our countries of research. Mm -hmm. So from that point of view, I do think that uh, following Caroline's vision, we very much uh, focus also on uh, um, capacity building mm -hmm in these countries and uh, it's often a two ways operation in a sense that on one hand we 
get massively enriched by engaging with local scholars, but on the other hand, we are offering unique opportunities to local scholars to get trained mm -hmm. in one of the best institutions in the world. To end, let's return now to Professor Humphrey, who told me some of her hopes for Miyasu's next 30 years. My main hope is that it'll sort of reproduce itself, that, that um, the concern that Latimore had, that he was going to retire and die and all his knowledge would go with him, um, which he hoped to, that I and Orgonga would uh, deal with that problem. I similarly hope that when, you know, I'm retired now, that, um, that other people will take up the reins of this thing and they, that they themselves will look to the future and look to groups of young people who will come in and, okay. and do this work at a, at a high standard. Because I think the other thing I've always been very, very aware of is that somewhere like Mongolia sounds a bit like, or it used to anyway, to, uh, sort of Timbuktu or something like that. I mean, really kind of um, not... Um, a, a sort of area that people peripheralise and marginalise that people don't know about. And I was therefore very determined that we had to produce work of, of the highest possible standard mm -hmm. in, in order not to be just a further sort of sidelined. Mm 